Last Sunday we kicked off our Christmas series for 2021 and we had a sermon that took us from one end of the Bible to the other. Uh, We considered the Christmas story in the grand sweep of uh, redemptive history. For today's sermon and the two that follow, we're going to concentrate on the details of the Christmas story itself as it's recorded in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Uh, We're going to go from the panorama to the portrait, if you will. And so with that in mind, please follow along as I read aloud from Luke chapter 2. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 2, beginning reading at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, please help us now as we consider this very familiar portion of Scripture. Pray that you would make it live to us once again. I pray that uh, it would be endowed with uh, fresh power. I pray that uh, the preaching of your word would be blessed. I pray that you would encourage us. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many of you are planning to travel over the next four to six weeks. Uh, Some of you will go north and some will go south. Uh, Maybe some of you will go west. Who knows? And uh, all of you, I'm sure, will be hoping not to get caught in lockdowns or border closures. Uh, That's going to make the holidays a bit more exciting, isn't it? (laughs) Will we make it home? Uh, Will we have to stay at Nanny and Poppy's place for a month? (laughs) Who knows? Uh, And Australia is a a big country. And we routinely travel over vast distances. Now let me share with you some of these distances. Uh, These are as the crow flies. So if you're driving... Of course, the distance is quite bigger. Uh, Some of you might be heading to Sydney to spend time with family and friends. Uh, The distance between Lismore and Sydney is 594 kilometres, according to Google. Uh, I think it's around 700 kilometres if you drive down the M1. Uh, The distance between Lismore and Brisbane is only 150 kilometres, so that's not too far. Uh, I know some of you have family way up north, Uh, The distance between Lismore and Cairns is 1,528 kilometres. Uh, To Cookdown, it's 696 kilometres. And right to the very top, to Bamaga, it's 2,291 kilometres. Here are some other distances, uh, just out of interest. From Melbourne to Brisbane, it's 1,374 kilometres. From Sydney to Adelaide, it's 1,160 kilometres. And then from Melbourne to Perth, 
Maybe some of you have driven that. It's 2,700 kilometres. That's a long way. Even though we have cars that can transport us fairly quickly, and even with air travel that's, of course, even quicker, we still think of some of these destinations as being a long way away. Uh, We could probably travel to Melbourne in less than 20 hours, and yet we still think of that as being a very long trip. But uh, imagine what people living in Lismore 100 years ago would have thought about travelling to Melbourne. Uh, You would have had to make that trip by train. I suspect it would have taken two or three days at least. And it wasn't until 1962 that you didn't have to change trains at the border because of the different railway gauges. And maybe there's some of you here that remember having to change trains at the border because of the different railway gauges. I say all of this to help you get some idea of this next distance that I'm going to mention. One that appears in our text, but not the one you're thinking of. The distance between Rome and Nazareth, as the crow flies, is about 2,250 kilometres. If you were to travel overland by car without taking any vehicle ferries or anything like that, you're probably looking at a journey of nearly 4,000 kilometres. The distance between Rome and Nazareth is greater than the distance between Sydney and Adelaide, greater than the distance between Melbourne and Brisbane. It's about the same as the distance between Sydney and Wellington in New Zealand. It's a long way. And it's even longer when you think about first century modes of transport. (laughs) Uh, You walked, uh, or you rode a horse, or you rode a cart of some kind that was drawn by a horse or a donkey, or you travelled by boat. Uh, The bottom line is that you didn't get very far, very fast in the first century. One thing I read suggested that in the first century, a trip from Jerusalem to Rome across the Mediterranean would have taken, uh, in the best case, 23 to 28 days, and up to 50 days, depending on the weather. So taking all of this into consideration, it's really quite remarkable that a man sitting in a palace in Rome issued a decree and as a consequence a couple who lived over 2,000 kilometres away in a little village of no particular significance set out on a journey to the husband's ancestral home. Such was this decree and the authority behind it that even though the wife was heavenly pregnant... They still believed it was in their best interest to make this journey, a difficult journey of some 110 kilometres. They didn't say, like we might have, uh, look, why don't we wait until the baby's born? And we've settled into some some good routines and uh, then we'll go to Bethlehem. (laughs) No. Even though the baby was about to be born... Even though there were risks to the mother and the child in making this journey, they obviously felt they needed to. They they felt they were obligated to. They believed there would be serious consequences if they didn't make this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I want to park here for a moment and dig down into this a little bit. Uh, Over the last two years, uh, we've all had a bit of a lesson on the power of the state to alter our lives, to uh, restrict where we can go and what we can do. 
A minister of the Crown signs a public health order in government offices hundreds of kilometres away from here, and when it takes effect, our daily lives change a little bit. And while we might not like it, we've come to understand in a very personal way the apparatus of the state. We recognise the capacity the state has to transmit these orders to the population and its ability to enforce them. If you remember, uh, the lockdown would be announced in the morning, it would come into effect in the evening, and we would all know about it. In fact, we would often know about it before it was announced. And when it would come into effect, we would have a choice to abide by it or face the risk of being fined for breaching it. Uh, We've been reminded that the modern state has great power at its disposal, probably more than we realised. And praise God, in our country, most of the time, uh, that power is used benevolently. That's not the case in many places around the world. Even this morning we've prayed for Christians in North Korea. Uh, Those who hold the power here in Australia generally use it to protect us rather than exploit us and enrich themselves. So we have some idea about this. But let's consider the situation in the first century Roman Empire. There was no internet, no phones, no fax machines, no planes, no cars, no printing press, nothing like prime ministers and premiers have at their disposal today. And yet, Gaius Octavius, Caesar Augustus, could compel people thousands of kilometres away to do what Mary and Joseph did. He had the power to disrupt their lives. We think our lives have been disrupted by the Health Minister of New South Wales, but not to the extent we see in our text. Uh, I don't think Mary and Joseph had the option of getting an exemption from their GP. I'm sure you've read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 before. I'm sure you've heard these verses read in church at Christmas time. This is the story that we are so familiar with, the story that we love. But have you ever thought about the power... That's evident in this text. The power that Caesar had, it's extraordinary. This decree was not an order to impose taxation upon the subjects of his empire. Rather, it was a decree designed to prepare his subjects to be taxed. It was a decree that ordered the preparation of tax rolls. It was what we today would call a census. This was not something unusual. In fact, historians have ascertained that this happened periodically in the Roman Empire, just like we have a census here in Australia every five years. However, unlike the census in Australia where whoever is in your house on a particular date is counted, this census was based on counting families or households and you were required to go to your ancestral home and there be registered or counted. So Joseph and Mary set off from their residence in Galilee to Joseph's ancestral home, the town of Bethlehem. And just as an aside, if Joseph's family was from Bethlehem in Judea, why was he living up north in Galilee? Have you ever wondered that? It's a very interesting question. Now with this in mind, please turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now, in the opening verses of this chapter, we have the account of the wise men's arrival in 
Jerusalem and their interaction with King Herod. Matthew chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Notice what the religious leaders and the theologians said about where the Christ, that the Messiah, was to be born. They knew that their scriptures, our Old Testament, said that the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. They even quoted the relevant text, Micah chapter 5 verse 2, with perhaps an additional line from 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 2. Uh, they were clear on this point. Do you notice that? Uh, it's not like they came to Herod and said, well, the scriptures seem to possibly suggest that the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. You know, some scholars take this view, but other scholars suggest that he will be born somewhere else. And then there are those who believe that the scriptures are silent on this point, Herod. That's not what we see here. The experts were definite about this. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. The religious leaders knew what the Bible said. They knew that Bethlehem was the place. And I wonder if Mary knew. Don't you? She was told by the angel who her child was, the son of the highest, the son of God, the one who would receive the throne of his father David and reign over the house of Jacob forever. Who else could her child be but Messiah, the Christ? And I wonder if when Mary became aware of this decree that required her and Joseph to go to Bethlehem, she began to put this all together. We've got to go to Bethlehem, do we? Huh. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if Old Testament scriptures concerning the birthplace of the Messiah were swirling around in her head. Now, of course, we don't know what Mary understood. Uh, for what it's worth, I tend to think she didn't put all the pieces together because it's very hard to do that when you're young and when you're in the middle of events outside of your control. I think Mary probably saw this trip to Bethlehem in the final stages of her pregnancy as something very disruptive and frustrating. If she'd had the choice, I suspect she'd have delivered the child at home in Nazareth. Uh, she'd probably made preparations for that, organised a midwife, organised a little crib for the child and so forth. But maybe I'm wrong. Hey, maybe Mary had put it all together. I'll have to ask her when I see her. Whatever the case, Joseph and Mary made it to Bethlehem and it was there that Jesus was born. It was there that Christ came into the world 
just as the prophets said he would. And that brings me to two thoughts that I want to leave you with this morning, two encouragements as we continue to reflect upon the Christmas story. First of all, we see that the great power of Caesar was actually in the service of the greater power of God. The great power of Caesar was actually in the service of the greater power of God. It is something that in the ancient world a man in Rome could issue a decree that a peasant couple thousands of kilometres away felt they needed to obey. It is something that Gaius Octavius had the power to disrupt the lives of people so far away from where he was. And yet, in the exercise of his power, he was only bringing to pass that which God had ordained, that which God had spoken through the mouths of his prophets. Who was really in charge? Who really ruled over the Roman Empire? Caesar's decree was just one little part of what God had decreed. And brothers and sisters, this has always been the case. The affairs of kings and their kingdoms have always been subject to the rule of a far greater king. There was and there is a power above all earthly powers. And the one to whom that power belongs is bringing to pass what he has ordained. We see this truth enunciated way back in the prayer of Daniel as he dealt with another man who wielded great power, King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 2 verses 20 and 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. We see this again in Daniel chapter 4 in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It was given to him, Daniel tells us, so that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. It's easy for us to be discouraged by the godless rulers of our day, be they presidents or prime ministers, parliamentarians or government officials. It's easy to be discouraged or to become anxious when they exercise their power in ways that make us uncomfortable, in ways that go against our Christian beliefs or against our concept of freedom. We can worry. We can be filled with angst about what's happening now and what might happen in the future. While it's okay to express our views in the right context and while it's okay to engage in political activism and even commendable at times, we don't have to be anxious, brothers and sisters. We don't have to be overwhelmed by fear because the great powers of this world are subject to the greater power of God. Our God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit is working all things after the counsel of his own will. And that is so clearly demonstrated in the Christmas story. We can look at a nativity scene 
and be reminded of who is actually in control of this world. And that's a great encouragement. There we find rest for our troubled souls. The second thought I want to leave you with also relates to what we've lived through this year. I've already used this word several times in this sermon. I think it probably sums up our lives in 2021 very well. Uh, The word is disruption. And I won't go through all the ways we've experienced this phenomenon this year. I'm sure you haven't forgotten. (laughs) But here is something to hold on to. Some more encouragement for our weary souls. We see in the Christmas story that God's goodwill was brought to pass through disruption and difficulty. God's goodwill was brought to pass through, even by means of disruption and difficulty. Do you really think Mary, in the final stages of her pregnancy, wanted to make that uncomfortable journey to Bethlehem? (laughs) Do you think it might have disrupted her and Joseph's plans just a little bit? Do you think they liked being told what to do by a pagan ruler sitting in his palace 2,000 kilometres away? And that's not to mention what happened when they got to Bethlehem. Mary had to give birth in a stable and put her newborn down to sleep in a manger, a feed trough. No mother plans to do that. And yet by these means... Prophecy was fulfilled and the Christ came into the world, the Son of God, Mary's Saviour, our Saviour, our Good Shepherd, our Great King. Now I understand the disruption we've experienced this year has not been much fun. It has not been to our liking. At times it's been very frustrating and even demoralising and some of us I'm sure are still struggling with what has transpired. And I don't like saying it, but there may be more to come. It might not feel like it. We might not see it. But the truth is, that if we love God, if we belong to him, then he has been ordering all that we've been through for our good. All that is required of us day by day, week by week, month by month, is to do what Joseph and Mary did, to trust God, And by his grace, endeavour to live by this book. It's really not that complicated. It's hard at times, very hard. But it's not complicated. The great powers of this world are subject to the greater power of God. And God brings to pass his good will even through disruption and difficulty. These are the messages for our hearts today as we continue to ponder the Christmas story. I'm going to close this morning with the words of a man who experienced a whole lot more disruption in his life than Mary and Joseph did. His name was Paul. And this was his testimony. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal.
May God bless the preaching of his word. Amen.